Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Thursday, January 18th. Happy National Gourmet Coffee Day, which I admit I'm not really qualified to discuss, much as it might shock some of y'all to hear that come out of my mouth. I know that different beans and blends have different flavors, and that Arabica beans are supposed to be the best, and that coffee's got to score at least 80 out of 100 points to be considered gourmet, but that's about it, because I personally do not care for coffee. I like the smell, but I've tried it and it tastes like burnt leaves to me. I also like the smell of burning leaves, but I don't eat them. The squaw, however, thinks coffee is one of God's own miracles and drinks it like it's the greatest thing in the world she's ever seen ever. The more caffeine, the better. Decaf is heresy. I wish I did like coffee because it sure looks like she's having fun, but I don't. About 400 billion cups of coffee get drank every year and I'm fairly certain Squaw don't drink more than about 50% of that. But she's definitely a connoisseur. She's got a drip machine, a percolator, a French press, a grinder, and three, count them, three latte frothers. She got rid of the K-cup machine cause apparently that's for peasants. She knows all about coffee and can explain the nuances of the different blends and what cold brew does to the acids versus dark roast, which is blah, 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 blah. I don't care for coffee so I don't care to talk about it either. A fact that the squall has yet to accept about me in spite of a third of a century of evidence to the contrary. She thinks people who don't like coffee are mentally ill and that I really would like it if it was just fixed right. So every now and then she'll do some up for me with the heavy cream and the fancy sweetener and whatnot. And I'll say, that smells good and try it. And she'll say, did you like it? And I'll say, no, I don't like coffee. Our reading for today is Genesis 37, 1 through 38, 30, Matthew 12, 22 through 45, Psalm 16, 1 through 11, and Proverbs 3, 27 through 32. So if y'all are ready. Now, coffee cake, on the other hand, are them biscotti cookies with whole milk. Now we're cooking with Crisco. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the 17th in the Old Testament, we read Genesis 35, 1 through 36, 43. And after the whole Shechem incident, where the boys slaughtered a whole village, God tells Jacob, this is probably a good opportunity to leave town and go somewhere else. How about go up to Bethel? And for those of y'all keeping track, this is the third time God has told him to go dwell in the promised land. And he says, go up there, make an altar to God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And when I was 16 and working as a dishwasher at the Howard Johnson, my boss walked through and said the wall behind the counter looked dirty, which I understood to mean go clean that wall. And I was right. <laughs> and I think that's what God just did here with that second comment. And Jacob got the message because the next thing he does is tell his whole household, staff and everybody to get rid of all the idols and the earrings which were like little charms some of them ancient pagans would wear to represent their gods, kind of like how Christians will wear a cross around their neck today. He even makes them bathe and change their clothes. Because here's the deal. Every human being on earth worships. We can't not. And there's only two things you can worship. You can worship God, or you can worship other than God. Sometimes you can do both, but not neither. And the idea here is to cleanse the camp of anything that's other than God. Because Jacob knows God won't put up with that on his property, which is where they're headed. And verse 4 says, And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, 
and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem, which someplace only he knew. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob, which I'm sure probably nobody got inside a mile of that group after what they did at Shechem. So they get to the city of Luz, which is Bethel, like Jake was told to do three times. And he builds an altar like he was told. I don't know how many times. But Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, who the Benson commentary says had probably been with her since she was a baby for 125 years or more, she died and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Elanbekuth, which means the Oak of Weeping. Then God appears to Jacob, kind of like he did when he came out of Padanaram, and said, Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel. And that probably has something to do with finally getting rid of all the idols and moving to the promised land. Whenever he's called Israel, it's usually because he's doing right. And when he's called Jacob, he's usually backsliding a little bit. This particular name change may have more to do with proof of God fulfilling his promised blessing than anything Jake did, but same difference. God repeats the promise about making a great nation and then takes off. And Jacob set up a pillar in that spot to honor God and poured oil on it and called the place Bethel, which means the house of God. Bethel is right next to Ephrath. And later on in the Bible, they call the whole greater metro area there Bethlehem Ephrata. But we'll get to that. And they traveled there for some reason. And while they were on their way, Rachel went into some hard labor. And I didn't even know she was pregnant. But it didn't go well, and she died in childbirth. And the King James says, as her soul was in departing. In the Hebrew, it actually says, with her last breath. Which to a Jew would mean the same thing. Because the breath represents the soul and life and such. But as she died, she named her new son Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. But Isaac wasn't about to agree to be reminded of the sorrow of his wife's death every time he looked at him. So he called him Benjamin, or Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. And it's interesting that Ben was the only child born in the promised land. And I don't know what that means, but it's got to be something. And verse 20 says, Jacob set a pillar on Rachel's grave, and it's still there today. At least when Moses wrote all this down, it was still there. There's a couple of places that the internet claims is Rachel's tomb, but I have no idea if they're legit. And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and the mother of a couple of his brothers. And this is a major rule violation, and it has consequences later on for Reuben, but we'll get to that. And the rest of this chapter lists the children and their mothers, just to make sure we know, I guess. And then Jacob visits his father, who's now 180 years old, and was in rough shape 20-something years ago when he was blind and Jacob scammed him out of Esau's birthright. And I imagine God was keeping him around for this event right here for some reason. But he dies, and Jacob and Esau bury him. And in chapter 36, we go through all the generations of Esau. And Esau is also called Edom. And the original inhabitants of Mount Seir were called Horites, or Hurrians. And over time, Esau and his descendants took over that territory. And the principal cities of the area were Selah, Basra, Petra, Timon, and Ezion-Geber. And the Edomites, Esau's descendants, were enemies of Israel throughout Old Testament times. And the Bible lists Esau's wives and who their kids were. And two of these wives' names are not the same as those listed in chapter 26 and 28. So either they took two different names or they died and he married these girls later. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, even though whenever you see a genealogy, you should study it because there's always treasure there. But I'll just point out in verse 20, we get the genealogy of Seir the Horite who was in the land first, before Esau took over. And this is probably there because the tribes intermarried and all these subgroups were connected. 
Reuben is the firstborn of the sons, Talia. He's the son that picked the mandrakes that she sold to Rachel for a night with Jacob. Reuben lays with Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, maybe because his mother was unhappy for a long time and he didn't know what else to do about it. Who knows? But later, Israel states that Reuben is unstable as water, and emotions can make us unstable. Kind of like Esau when he thought he was hungry enough to die and sold his birthright. The Lord is faithful, us not so much, but he develops faithfulness in us through the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, we read Matthew 12, 1-21. And now it's the Sabbath, probably not the same day as the teaching he just gave in chapter 11. And Jesus and the disciples are walking through what the King James calls a cornfield. But the Greek just says it was a sown field. It doesn't say what was growing there. And they're hungry. So they pick some corn or whatever and start to eat as they're walking. But there were Pharisees hanging around and they saw it and they came unglued. They said, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Meaning picking corn was considered work. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Now, when God gave that rule, it was more about taking a day off from the cares of the world to fellowship with him. He doesn't really care what you do as long as it's not a distraction or sinful. But legalistic, busybody, control freak types always miss that point. And before it's all over, the Jews have rules about how much of anything you can do before it's considered work. Orthodox-Jews.com has a list of 39 forbidden melakot, like using electricity or cooking, making a fire or putting one out. Writing or erasing two or more letters, tying or untying a knot, and so forth. Now, if all that religious craziness does in fact help draw you closer to God, or it's a form of worship for you, then it ain't craziness, and more power to you. Every human on earth is religious. Some of us have tried to overcome our religious nature, but we all have our little rituals. Even rejecting religion is in itself a religious act, so there's no getting away from it. And as long as religion is a means to an end, it's probably cool. But once religion becomes what's important, then you've lost sight of what's actually important, and you're a Pharisee. And also, these particular Pharisees, being the legal authority and all, saw Jesus' teachings as a threat to their own power and wealth. He was cutting in on their action. So the Pharisees start hassling him about breaking their rules, and he spells it out for them. He's like, y'all ain't have no problem with King David eating the shoe bread. That was against the law. And y'all ain't got no problem with the priests in the temple profaning the Sabbath because they were required to work on the Sabbath. So if y'all actually knew what y'all were talking about, you'd realize that if all that's okay with you, stuff I do should be okay too. Because in this place is one greater than the temple. And I'm surprised they didn't try to kill him right there. Because what he's saying is, me, Jesus, I outrank the temple. Which means he also outranks the law and the entire religion of Judaism. And that's a good way to get killed. But he doubles down says, if you had known what this scripture meaneth, he's talking about Hosea 6, 6, where it says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, then ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Then he triples down and says, for the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He just claimed to be God, basically. And verse 9, when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and not the synagogue, and not his synagogue. That's interesting. He went to their synagogue. And he met a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees just knew he was about to heal that guy. So they asked him if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath, because as far as they were concerned, it wasn't. So he says, look, if one of your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, are you just going to leave it there till tomorrow to die probably? No, you're going to go get it. 
Because what he didn't say is, their own rules allowed for Sabbath violations if it meant saving a life. Verse 12, he says, How much then is man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Now watch what happens. He speaks and the man is healed. Jesus didn't even do any work. He just stood there and miracled the dude's hand back into shape. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him for working on the Sabbath, which he didn't even do. And I can't believe the Pharisees' mindset. They could have been amazed at the miracle or happy for the dude and his brand new hand. But no, their big takeaway from that was God is not allowed to do miracles on Saturday. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and since it wasn't time for them to kill him yet, he left, and great multitudes followed him. And just to rub it in their face, I think, he healed them all and told them not to tell anybody. And Matt points out that this is fulfillment of prophecy. But that's where we stop reading. And I love the way Jesus engages the Pharisees by answering their question with a question. He patiently walked them through his question. So if they had a heart for God and not their career, you know, ears to hear kind of thing, they would have gotten the message. And that's something to be ever aware of the eternal when we're interacting with believers and unbelievers so that they become engaged in the search for truth, the search for Jesus, you know, to plant seeds of hope. Another may come and water it, but we did what we could to help. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 15, 1 through 5. And that's a short little Psalm of David. He says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Well, he that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. That's who. Then he lists who won't be hanging out with God. Backbiters and evildoers, usurers, among others. And I just want to highlight two things in the list that stand out to me. And one is speaks truth in his heart. Now, this is a conversation God sees first and others see it when it becomes abundant. You know, what's in our heart, if it's truth or if it's lies. And then the second one is, doesn't join in with others to censure, mingled with contempt or derision, your neighbor. And how timely is this? And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Solomon begs his son to not let them depart from his eyes, meaning wisdom and law. Don't be stupid, basically, because your life will be so much better if you're not. Says, thou shalt walk in safety, thy foot shall not stumble. Thou shalt not be afraid, thy sleep shall be sweet, if you just don't act stupid. Okay, this is my paraphrase using definitions from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. If we keep the right use of knowledge and the power to act on our own judgment, we need not be afraid of sudden fear or the desolation of the wicked when it comes, because the Lord shall be our confidence and keep us from being taken. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for January 18th is Genesis 37.1 through 38.30. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. 
And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren, and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes, and put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and captain of the guard. Chapter 38 And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren, and turned into a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. 
And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chezib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house, till Shelah my son be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in process of time the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted, and went up unto his sheep shears to Timnath, he and his friend Hera the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath, for she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot, because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet and thy bracelets, and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away, and laid by her veil from her, and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he found her not. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, Let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are am I with child. And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet and bracelets and staff. And Judah acknowledged them, and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila my son. And he knew her again no more. And it came to pass in the time of her travail, that behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed, that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying, This came out first. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Pharez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Our reading in the New Testament for January 18th is Matthew 12, 22-45. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed, and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? 
And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house, and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Our reading in Psalms for January 18th is Psalm 16, 1-11. Mictum of David Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt shew me the path of life, and thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures for evermore. And our reading in Proverbs from January 18th is Proverbs 3, 27-32. Withhold not good from them whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go, and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. 
Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. And that's got it for the 18th. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is about Numbers 23:19, which says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a couple times and meditate with me for a little while on promises fulfilled, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, your word tells us that your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts. You know the end from the beginning, and your infinite thoughts are beyond humanity's ability to comprehend them. So we know that when you make a promise, such as all things work together for good for them that love you, it will be kept, regardless of our understanding. Help us, Father, to guard against any loss of hope in you or your promises to us, so that our eyes remain always fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yallin' I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them somehow. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, best thing y'all can do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. And if you got anything you want us to pray for you about, email me at BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you ain't going to make things any better, could you just not make them any worse? Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. Then God appears to Jacob in a similar way. Then God appears to Jacob in a similar way. Then God appears to Jacob kind of like he did when he came out of Padanaram.